0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. You know, I'm still just riding high on this playoff wave. It has been such a fun couple of weeks. Obviously, Wednesday night was unbelievable. LeBron hits the game winner. Uh, then you have that crazy Thunder comeback. It was the NBA at its best. But I will confess there was a moment on Wednesday night where I hit that wall mm-hmm. and it came in the Timberwolves Rockets game and James Harden has the ball at the right angle. He's dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. You can hear Tibbs screaming iCE 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 <laughs> on the t- TNT broadcast for like the five thousandth time. Taj Gibson is trying his best to, you know, force James Harden to the sideline. Uh and if anyone's heard Tibbs yell ice fifty million times, it's Taj Gibson. So he knows better. Unfortunately, Harden still gets to the middle of the court. He goes left, he goes in for a dunk, completes the dunk, and then he does that. Uh, I think it's probably the worst celebration in the NBA right now, the nosebleed celebration where he pretends <laughs> to have a a bloody nose from the dunk. It and really they go back. Bad. They go back to the bench, and right at that ex- specific moment. I decided that it was time to start getting some of these teams out of here. We need to just, you know, cut down uh, the pack. I've seen enough first round playoff games. I'm ready for the eliminations to take place so we can really hone in on the best of the best. I think we've reached that point.
0: I think so too. I mean, I definitely cut the wolves out of my life after that third quarter the other night, um, and and really, I resented having to pay attention to wolves rockets on Monday night because I was like, "Come on, this series should be over. Don't make me care." And then, bless the rockets, they came out and scored. I think it was fifty points in a quarter and uh, ended the series effectively, as far as I was concerned. But listen,
1: yeah, you. You were so bitter. I mean, you gave them a B, even though they got a you know a five game first round win with multiple <laughs> blowout victories. You're like, I don't even want the Wolves in my life. I'm, I'm going to penalize Houston for it. But listen, let's
0: yeah, we're not ta- We're not going to start this podcast talking about the Rockets because it's Thursday afternoon here, and I am still living in the afterglow of Westbrook on Wednesday night and knowing that I think they're probably going to go to Utah and lose but this has just been a wild wild week for the the Westbrook experience so I think we need to start there Jonathan says hey guys I love the pod but I was incredibly disappointed at Tuesday's lackluster Thunder Jazz conversation Game four in Utah was a complete and utter OKC meltdown with so many great moments from Westbrook picking up four fouls in the first half on Ricky Rubio to Mitt Romney taunting Russ, Mello bricking shots left and right, Donovan Mitchell's continued ascension, Joe Ingles' burgeoning playoff highlight reel, and Westbrook losing his cool A plethora of notable moments, he says. Uh, And when OKC finally loses to the Jazz, Open Floor Globe needs to build a funeral pyre commensurate with the disappointment of this Thunder season and assign some accountability. Um, There's a lot there. The reason I I like that... I need
1: to respond, though, Andrew. I need to respond right off the top. I mean, okay, look, Jonathan... Save, save me your disappointment, whether it's incredible or otherwise, okay? I'm very impressed by your thesaurus usage. I mean, you got burgeoning, plethora, all these other words, but we were taping during the middle of that game. We can't do a live broadcast of game four <laughs> while we're here trying to have a conversation on these other subjects, okay? It's not our fault. Sometimes you have to work with us. We will double back when there's important stuff to talk about, and he's right. There was a lot to talk about from that game.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think what I liked most about Jonathan's question is uh, the idea of a funeral pyre, which is essentially just a bonfire. Uh, And that's what was happening in the first half of Oklahoma City Game 5. Because I think everybody had the pitchforks out and we were just going to spend at least the next 48 hours roasting Russell Westbrook. And to some degree, it happened after Game 4. Like, there was just sort of an internet-wide referendum on Westbrook and all the things that he isn't. And uh, so to watch that happen and watch him get dunked on by Mitt Romney, and, I mean, he was all over the place in Game 4, uh, which is kind of par for the course. Like, whenever there's a big game, a lot of times you'll see Russ, and he's just, like, too wound up and too locked in, and it, it's it's, like, He's clearly going harder than anyone on the floor, but it's not necessarily being like used productively. Um, so that that is a Westbrook that I'm pretty familiar with. But it was so much fun to watch him turn around uh, in Game Five and just flip it on everybody. What did you think? Oh, the,
1: the Game Five thing was hilarious because you could see the beat writers in their stories where they were writing that funeral pyre story right like they're like this is the end of the season Westbrook's melted down yet again the Paul George experiment didn't work he's gone now Carmelo can't even stay on the court of the playoff games woe is us woe is us they they go out after five games in the first round they made these great trades last summer and it didn't make them a single game further in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and then they had to like redo their game stories so all that (laughs) stuff got kind of buried down into the second half of the story (laughs) and it was like oh by the way this also happened but Westbrook launched this 30 or 20 point third quarter and got them back in the game. It was a remarkable display uh, from him, but here's what I would say, my takeaway from that game was Utah needs to collect itself and trust the numbers because their defensive game plan for, you know, the entire series up until basically that third quarter explosion from Westbrook was perfect. I mean, they're daring him to take these shots, which he was not hitting. He had basically the lowest true shooting percentage of any kind of high-volume shooter uh, so far in the playoffs. If he had not gone nuts, or if Paul George had not gone nuts, they would have won that game. Uh, and so I, if I'm Quinn Snyder, you know, I would hope that my locker room would not be super-duper disappointed after blowing that big lead, because everything they wanted to do was working well. If they stick to that script, they should win this series. Now, that being said you know, Billy Donovan, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago, it's like, when do you, you know, pull the plug on the Carmelo Anthony experience? When do you just realize he's not helping? And, uh, you know, this wouldn't be the worst time for them just to tell Melo, hey, Cancun's on on us, you know, go ahead and take an (laughs) early vacation. We're just going to ride out with Grant and Abrinas and whoever else because he was not on the court during that big push. I don't think that that was a huge uh, coincidence. And um, I think if they play him big minutes in Game 6, that's a pretty strong way to lose Game 6.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it hurts. I mean, it has it honestly been hard to watch Carmelo for a lot of this series because, I mean, I understand he's become kind of like the punching bag for basketball Twitter for most of this year, uh, and deservedly so in most cases. But, I mean, he's still a, like, legendary player, a defining player of this generation, and uh it's just really hard to see anyone go through something as ugly as this. Now granted he's making like twenty-seven million dollars a year and making even more next year, so he's good. I'm not like shedding tears for Melo, but uh but it's hard man and like I I would bench him in part because OKC still uses him as like a safety valve for their offense. And so they'll, like, kick it around, kick it around, and then, like, they'll find Melo for an open look. And he, he is not even close on some of these shots. And so I would take him off the court just to take that option off the court for their offense. Like, they're better when things are running through Russ and Paul George. And Jeremy Grant, credit to Sam Presti, man. I mean, he has been really valuable in OKC this year. And he's a guy who, like... If you had asked people in October, I don't think anybody would have bet on him being like a a real role player. But like where Patrick Patterson has been kind of disappointing for them, Grant has stepped up.
1: Yeah, I want to just fine tune your language selection a little bit. You you know, you mentioned that the offense is running through Russ and Paul George. I think what you meant to say was that Russ and Paul George take every single shot and score every single point. Because that was the only way that OKC looked good in that game. Those guys had like
0: 40 straight points. Footnote to that. Russ and Paul George take every single shot, but for some reason they keep passing to Melo and expecting it to work out. And it's not working. Like, everyone in OKC just needs to be honest about this. And, and, you know, Melo apparently was, like, arguing with Mo Cheeks. I didn't see it, but I saw tweets about it, arguing with Mo Cheeks to get back on the floor. And I totally understand where he's coming from. But, like, I don't know. The evidence is really hard to argue with at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was standing up for a long portion of the second half, basically with his hands on his knees in the jersey, not wearing a warm-up, basically begging and pleading to be put into that game. And they did a pretty good job of resisting that temptation for quite a while. Uh, The other thing I'd say, though, uh, I mean, the offensive stuff, that is an issue. But defensively, that's the real issue. He's such an easy guy to pick on. He's making Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell's postseason highlight reel a lot easier. I mean, when he gets into space, I start to really feel for Melo. His feet get awful happy. I mean, he looks like a guy getting dance lessons for the first time. It's not where you want to be in those situations out in space. And, um, you know, I think that that would be my big concern. I think, you know, going back to him is like, not only is he kind of, you know, taking away from the two guys who can actually give you, you know, big explosive offense, uh, but he's such an easy target on the other end.
0: Yeah, I mean it's kind of like Ennis Canter part two, except if en- Ennis Canter didn't rebound and just missed like eight threes per game, so uh, Ugh. not Ugh. not a winning player, <laughs> um, as the blog yeah, boys I- would say.
1: Can I say one last thing, though, in terms of you know the Quinn Snyder message to his team? The other thing that I would have the Jazz sort of you know recoup with is this: like if they had just keep uh, running their offense, you know, maintaining control of the pace in that third quarter and cutting down on some of the silly turnovers, uh, I think they would have been in position to still win that game, despite the insanity of what was happening on the other end. And you can point out like Rudy Gobert's foul trouble; that was obviously a factor in. Uh, Oklahoma City getting going you can also point to the fact that a guy like Jay Crowder just goes nuts to help them build that lead and you know that's not going to be sustainable over the course of the game Mm -hmm. Uh, and some of their open three-pointers just weren't going in but if they had just maintained uh, you know kept Oklahoma City from getting out into sort of (laughs) semi-transition and if they had just kept running the offense and not you know throwing the ball away so that guys like Westbrook and Paul George could take off the other way with it they probably still would have won that game so as heartbreaking as I'm sure it was for jazz fans to watch that, yeah. Like I don't think you have to go into this crazy spin mode if you're their coaching staff. You could say, "Look, guys, we're the better team here," you know, and <laughs> I, th- that's how I would spin it if I was the jazz coach.
0: You know, I've thought about this a lot. I love how shamelessly you're embracing the jazz here because I've thought about this as the Spurs begin to creep toward darkness. I think you're going to need to switch from the monastery over to Jazz Nation, which I I guess we could call it the tabernacle. Uh, But you just need to sort of like... Because the game two... No, I guess it was game three in Utah where uh, Utah beat the brakes off the Thunder on a Saturday night. And I was watching it and thinking like, man, this is like Golliver's dream. The ball is just whipping around on offense. Everybody is rotating on defense. This is like what you live for. And so I love that here you are just, like, coaching up Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio. Just stick with the plan, guys. Trust the process. You're going to be fine.
1: Oh, and, I mean, the Red Rock jerseys on top of, like, the Red (laughs) Rock free handout t-shirts was unbelievable. And... You know, the whole Mitt Romney thing that the emailer mentioned, we should mention like the reason why he wore that jersey number five, it's for a a cancer charity. So everyone go look that up. If you're trying to, you know, donate some money during the middle of the playoffs, that'd be a pretty good place to put that, uh, put your contribution. So in addition to Mitt Romney trolling Russell Westbrook, where it did kind of seem like Romney was taking out all of his frustrations from being mocked by Donald Trump for like the last two years (laughs) and just like passing the buck straight to Westbrook as if Westbrook needed it.
0: But well, um, it was great. It sort of like underscored the rock bottom theme of the night for the Thunder. Um, but we should talk about Russ specifically because look, you have been something of a hater for the last couple of years. Certainly I don't for know the about last that. year. Well, what's your reaction to how incredible he was down the stretch there?
1: Oh, uh, you know, he had, he's had basically two good quarters in this series, right? So uh, where where are you going with that? I mean, like I said, I would trust the math. If I was Utah, I think their game plan of giving him mid range jumpers uh, of trying to take away everything, going to the basket. Uh, you know, if Gobert is on the court more, uh, he's probably able to get less stuff going, uh, you know, you know, downhill. Uh-huh. Um, I think he was amazing in that final flurry, but I don't think that he can sustain at that level consistently enough, uh, in, you know, the series format to win meaningfully, uh, you know, with this, you know, crop of teammates. So if he is able to pull out the miraculous, you know, three straight wins to win the series, like, so be it, you tip your hat to him. But I just don't think uh, this season he has played well enough, despite his big numbers, uh, to be viewed as, uh the number one guy on sort of a you know a true championship contender, and you know I go back to what I said you know earlier this season. I stick by it. you know the guy plays with purpose, there's no question, but does he right. play with a a purpose you know is he able to take <laughs> into account everything that's happening on the court all ten players and a perfect example of that mentality was what he wanted to do to Ricky Rubio. You know, like he's like, oh yeah, it's going to get all personal. He's running all over the court, getting these fouls. You know, he's sabotaging his own defense. He's putting himself in situations where they have to change up their defensive scheme later in the game to hide him so he doesn't get into more foul trouble. That's what I mean. That's not playing with a purpose. You know, that's just, you know, running out there and, and you know, being kind of, you know, about yourself and individualistic. And, no, wait. you know, from that standpoint, you know, I I to me, Houston would beat them Easily if they face up, and I'm picking Utah to win game six.
0: Okay, I think that's completely fair. I have a couple responses. First of all, I've never really called you on this, and I guess we can go into it deeper at a later date, but you realize that purpose versus a purpose thing is like basically gibberish, right? It's not gibberish, it makes sense. <laughs> Two heads sense understand if, it. If you grew up in the monastery, it makes sense. That's fine. Um, the West. I mean, do I
1: need to do I need to dumb it down, or what are you asking for? Why is it gibberish? Because you can't understand it, or no. why is it gibberish?
0: <laughs> it just is kind of like vague and meaningless. Um, but I get what you mean. I, the the Rubio example is a, a perfect example of of Westbrook at his worst. And it's funny. The second he said that at the podium, I I had flashbacks to him snickering about Steph Curry's defense after, like, Game 3, or maybe it was Game 4 in that Warriors-Thunder series a couple years ago, and Westbrook proceeded to come back and lose three straight games and, and just get humiliated by Steph Curry. And I guess it's a credit to how cool he is that he was able to sort of, like, recover from that without taking much heat. But yeah, there's definitely... There's a lot there with Russ. I just think. No,
1: the only reason why he recovered is because Katie put himself right, out there by point. leaving the team. <laughs> and so he became everyone's favorite underdog. But I don't think he's recovered. I mean, do you think these guys are going to win the series because because of this? If you think this is so gibberish, if he is actually out there, you know, playing with the vision and, and taking into account everything that's going on the court, are you ready to step up and pick OKC to win this series?
0: No, I'm, I'm not. OK. Um, and I also would say that I wouldn't want Westbrook on my team. But watching him in that second half was pretty gratifying because I think I've seen I've seen the argument over Russell Westbrook be reduced like to a to an irrational place on the internet that like he people talk about him as if he's just this like stat chasing gunner that you can never win with and that is everything that's wrong with basketball. And I don't think that's really true either. He's not like, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, James Harden level um, as a superstar. But I also think, like, there are a lot of things that he does really well. And there's also just nobody like him. And I think that he makes the league a lot more interesting. And for someone like that, like, I just think it speaks to how kind of screwed up basketball conversations can get sometimes on the internet. Because, like, he just so clearly makes the league a richer place and half the time we're talking about him we're just nitpicking like efficiency and all this other bullshit and uh it was nice to see him remind people why like he can be so captivating and why he is actually amazing and is worth all the fuss
1: yeah, I mean that's fine. You can go have a beer with him. Are you going to marry him? You know, I mean, let's let's be honest. <laughs> no. Like, you don't want him on your favorite team, do you?
0: No, and I think that's okay. Th- that so is an that's issue. the
1: conversation. So why? So why are we saying, oh, it's such a fun thing? Blah blah blah. Okay, fantastic. You know, great diversion. Glad we can do that. But no. I mean, if we're talking here, <laughs> who's going to win titles and who are the most important? players and the guys we should be voting for for major awards right and you know what do we take away from this series i see a lot more in the minus you column see, from westbrook this is than why the this
0: is why you're the republican of the podcast okay it's, it's not all it. about the bottom line okay there's a lot to, a lot of different things you can appreciate about the nba and i think that westbrook is a unique figure who takes a lot of shit and uh and some of it's it the is efficiency. very deserved
1: <laughs> it's the efficiency stupid no look i think uh <laughs> <laughs> i i think I, I agree almost with everything you said in all seriousness like he's a very entertaining person to watch he's a great personality his post-game podiums have been must-see tv for better or worse uh, he is absolutely a martyr for that franchise all the fans are behind him and i was glad for their fan base that they had that second half because had they just wilted yeah. and fallen apart that's a lot of sad people going home and uh i'm glad you know just for you know the thunder fan base which was a good fan base that they got to have that but i still think this idea of purpose versus a purpose. It's not gibberish, Andrew. You know, you have to be able to see the bigger picture. If you're going to be a point guard and if you're going to have a usage rate that high, you have to be able to understand all the dynamics. Right. You have to bring it defensively. And, uh, I don't think he's ever going to get that. You know, I think it's too late and yeah. that's part part of it is disappointing, right? Like you would like to see players evolve and he's added, uh, certain dimensions to his game, uh, as he's gotten older and certainly is far better, better than he was when he came into the NBA. But part of why he's so frustrating and maybe disappointing is that there are certain things that he just refuses to uh, work on, whether it's shot selection, decision making, uh, defensive intensity, uh, all those things that just are there every single night. And at some point, you just get kind of sick of it.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a totally fair perspective. And I'm mainly just sort of giving the other side of things because I think we had gotten out of balance this week. And that's why that game five was so much fun to watch. Um, but he well,
1: we got out of balance because he was shooting like 30 something. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> Come fair. on. That's it totally wasn't just ran- it wasn't random people just, you know, nitpicking him for no reason. Well, like he's chucking up a lot of bricks. And everything also- that I was saying about John, Will- uh, John Wall in game one, that was Westbrook for basically four games in a row. And like I said, we should be giving, anytime we're taking down Westbrook in this series, Give the credit to Gobert. Gobert is making his life a lot more difficult. And give a credit to uh, the Jazz coaching staff for a smart defensive scheme, which is basically just like, hey, we know you like to take shots that you're not great at hitting. Go ahead and take them. It's so hard for players on that level to resist that stuff, and it's working.
0: Yeah, Uh, we have a couple more Westbrook questions. The one thing I would add, you make a very good point, and I think when people talk about the Westbrook experience, a lot of times I'm talking about, like, early years Westbrook um, and uh, and like it, it, there have been various eras with him. um, But one of the reasons criticism is justified. And one of the reasons this isn't as fun as it used to be is because he really hasn't grown at all and hasn't found a way to evolve. And, uh, and that can just be kind of grim some nights when you're out there and you, and like the, the jumpers clearly aren't falling and he doesn't have, another approach really against the team like utah and so that's part of why the the first half of the series was beginning to get kind of dark as well um
1: okay here's here's the question we should end on with westbrook mm-hmm. did he do enough in the second half of that game if they lose this series that that showing between him and paul george would be enough to convince paul george to resign there was that was that last gasp effort where things were really rolling perfectly they were both uh, you know, kind of hitting on all the cylinders. Do you think that that was in any way enough to change Paul George's thinking?
0: I can't put myself in Paul George's head, I'll, but I'll say this. If I, I, were, if I were Paul George, <laughs> I would not be staying in Oklahoma City, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. Even if they win this series, even if they challenge the Rockets, I just think his best role is somewhere else. Because in in Oklahoma City, he's basically either asked to do too much and kind of like carry that offense on his own, or he's just totally marginalized and he's a bystander while Russ does his thing. And like, there are nights, maybe one out of every four games, they strike the right balance and both Westbrook and George are on and it looks incredible. But more often than not, it's kind of like wonky. It's been that way all year. And if I were him, I would be looking elsewhere just because, George isn't good enough to play the KD role. Like, KD is one of the 20 best players of all time, and I think the way he was able to to just play off of Russ and be great every time OKC needed him to be great speaks to just how, like, historically incredible he is, and George is, is a cut below that.
1: Yeah. Well, you did put yourself in Paul George's head and you reached the right conclusion. (laughs) So congratulations. I agree with you completely. And I think that kind of says it all. If we're all here in agreement saying, look, like that was fun, but ultimately it's not really enough to convince Paul George to stay, then that's a huge issue. And you need to get away from using this word role with Kevin Durant. Okay, He didn't play a role off of Russell Westbrook. That was his team when he was in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. He was the one who kept them afloat. Westbrook obviously got huge stats, had the ball in his hands a lot, but that team... Uh, was better when Kevin was on the court yeah. without Westbrook than they were, uh, vice versa, and that team made the finals because of Kevin first, not because of Westbrook.
0: Okay, I think that's a fair point, but I also think that one of the reasons Durant left is because the like control of the team had somehow shifted to Westbrook, and really, even even if you go back to those finals against the Heat, like. Russ was still initiating more of the offense than he probably should have been. And so I agree with you. They would have been better off if it was entirely Durant's team. But, I mean, Russ had his moments where he just kind of did his own thing. I I have another question, though, because you and I have talked about this offline. Trading Westbrook wouldn't be the worst decision in the world. Is there anywhere you think he could go this summer? Wow! I mean, you're I don't gonna, think they're going to. You're going to
1: jump into the deep
0: end, <laughs> if, are you? Well, this I is were... this
1: how you get hate mail. We, we say Westbrook's never going to involve. He has no, uh, uh, he has no uh, vision for winning. Uh-huh. Uh, he's going to push Paul George away, and they should trade him. So you want to go all four? All, you know, four bases for four. Can I add uh, some context?
0: I sure. I don't think they. I think that they can continue to win between 45 and 50 games if Russ stays. Um, I like I trust Presti to kind of tweak the margins of the roster and, and find a way to make it work to some degree. But part of the reason, first of all, if I were the I would be panicked about that deal and how Westbrook is going to age, and so I would try to trade him for that reason. And speaking strictly as a basketball fan, I would like to see Westbrook in a different situation before his prime is over just for fun, like I don't, I don't think that I think we all sort of see the ceiling in OKC, and it'd be fun to mix things up.
1: Well, I think if Paul George leaves, you know, it's going to go back to the Westbrook show, and I think they're not tired of it yet in Oklahoma City. They mm-hmm. still ride with them. You know, he's delivered them so many moments. You know, he is sort of this you know cult underdog type figure that they were going to look at that as, you know, being far better than the alternative, which would be, you know, if you trade them, you're a lottery team and the rest of their roster is really rough. I mean, you want to throw Mello out there as like a tank commander and that's your team <laughs> next season. I mean, that would be so rough. So I think it's too early to have that conversation. But, um, you know, I do think there'd be a lot of teams that are interested in him just because he has that star power, you know, yeah. I and mean, think about the La- the Lakers and the Knicks would bend over backwards to get a player like Westbrook, you know, even if it meant their ceiling was, you know, 45 wins, they would kill for that, right?
0: I've thought about that a lot. Then Westbrook definitely feels like he's destined to spend at least one or two years on the Knicks. He's just probably not, like, broken down enough for that stop in New York yet. The one team, I, there are two teams that I could see making a move. Um The Clippers could make sense. I think Magic and Palinka are too smart to absorb Westbrook's deal and have that take up like 75% of the cap space this summer. That's probably not their, their master plan, but I could see Steve Ballmer doing it and just bringing Russ to LA and figuring out the rest. And the team where I would really like to see him is uh, Denver because Denver is a team that like really needs a draw there. There hasn't really been a reason to care in that market for like 15 years. And uh, I don't know, like, they could give up Gary Harris, Fareed, and Jamal Murray, and make it work with and 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 that's not a bad haul if you're Presty and you're trying to get out from this supermax deal.
1: I think the Nuggets fans would revolt at that idea. <laughs> I mean, they want to grow with their young guys. I don't. I think. I mean, they're probably viewing Jamal Murray as having a chance in like two or three that's years fair. to be an All Star when you know a guy like Westbrook might be fading a little bit. Um, you know, it's a constant battle. Uh, for Magic and and Polinka, like you're mentioning, between sort of like their obviously great business acumen and understanding of how things would work and then also their thirst because they, (laughs) like, I mean, reading that Lee Jenkins piece about them, They came off a little thirsty, didn't they? I mean, just like so eager for, you know, like trying to position themselves for free agency. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I mean, they should be thirsty because they haven't been in the playoffs in years and years and years. And the expectations are huge here uh, in the city. But uh, I still think that they'd be
0: like, oh, Westbrook, we can get them for 45. Perfect. Let's do it right now. (laughs) That's true. Never put anything past them. Um, Yeah, Magic, is either much smarter than everyone thinks or even more ridiculous than people characterize him as. And it's hard to, to tell. I changed my mind by the week. Um, but that's enough Westbrook talk. We've gone gone long on, on old Russie. Uh Let's move to LeBron. Alex says, Did LeBron James just pull a John Wall? Now that we're past the initial Twitter explosion and LeBron has toweled himself off after his post- Round one, game five win over the Indiana Pacers. Can we just realize how far the bar has been lowered here? It's the Pacers. LeBron should win. Yet there's Gatorade bats, and he's posing on the scorer's table like John Wall in the first round. What's your reaction to this? I, I enjoyed the hate there. Um. Alex, I will admit
1: that the same thought was kind of going through my mind, but I tried to pull myself out of that well because look, it is pretty dark when you realize you know, how ugly that game was, how far Cleveland is away from being able to play at like the level of some of these other teams have been playing at during the playoffs. Um, how random the people he's celebrating with are. Like the, his first stop was, you know, Seti Osman. You know, imagine right. you telling him that 12 months ago. Hey, you hit a game <laughs> winner. And the only person you have to celebrate with is uh, some guy you've probably never heard of at that point of his life. Um, so it was sad. But I also think, look, the over-analysis of the celebrations, and I, I'm guilty of this too. I was mocking Harden's, you know, nosebleed celebration. I think it goes a little bit too far sometimes. It's easy to be too bitter- That was a very genuine moment uh, when he jumped up on the scores table. It's not like he held the pose up there for like forty-five seconds. He was up and down pretty quick. Right. Uh, I actually, in hindsight, you know, revisionist history. I don't really even fault John Wall for doing what he did too. I mean, we want these guys to play with emotion and show who they are. Uh, You know, for LeBron, this has been a long, tough, dreary season, Um, and to have that moment, you know, that seemed pretty pure to me. It didn't seem staged and. You know from that standpoint i'm not gonna you know nitpick it at all
0: yeah i I think that's valid and it's also one of those things where if you were watching it live it felt totally reasonable because it was just a really cool shot uh and it just, just like it was a, a real moment um and then 24 hours later you go back and watch a youtube video and you're like man it is kind of weird that this is this is where the Cavs are, like barely scraping by the Pacers and acting like it's a miracle when they do. Um, but well, that's, that's a
1: great point because history is going to be even worse to it. Like if they lose to the <laughs> totally. Raptors in six, you know, <laughs> then we're going to look back in five years and be like, why did he do that? But I would also say, having been in the building for lots of game winners, like, you know, over the last 10 years, I was there for LeBron's against Chicago, you know, when he scratched David Blatt's play. Yep. Chris Paul beat the Spurs. Uh, You know, Brandon Roy had a couple of really amazing game winners in Portland. It's electric. Like, even if the game is ugly for the first 47 minutes and 59 seconds, if somebody hits a game winner, uh, that can cause, you know, the roof to explode. And don't underestimate that collective feeling because there's not a lot else like it in other sporting events.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess beyond that, credit to LeBron. (laughs) He He must have listened to Open Floor and heard us, heard me mostly kind of like, questioning his effort and engagement levels and uh he went out and was amazing in that game even before the shot so good to know he's still got it um and beyond that we don't really know I've,
1: i've called it puberty ball before you know where the one guy is like older and stronger than everybody else on the court and he just you know exerts his will it's sort of like the middle middle school setting and LeBron played puberty basketball in that game, you know, I mean, he was just going to the basket, putting his head down, bullying every single, you know, every play. Uh, I want to ask you, though, because the the emailer did a fantastic job of completely hating on LeBron, but not mentioning the goaltend anywhere in the, uh, you know, paragraph long uh, screed. Uh, What'd you think of the goaltend? Because when I watched it in live time, to me, it looked like a goaltend. I was surprised they didn't call it because, you know, it's a kind of a bang, bang visual play. But like, when he got the block in the finals, uh, you know, on Iguodala, I couldn't tell that one. Uh-huh. You know, I had to see it in super slow mo. But I felt like that one was seeable, and and maybe he got away with one.
0: Uh, I agree. I mean, it was definitely a goaltend after the fact. Um, I think I generally err on the side of assuming things are goaltends. Like whenever it's cl- it it's a bang bang play, like you said, I'm always like, oh, that's definitely a goaltend. It definitely hit the backboard first. But like he. Uh, <laughs> He's LeBron, so he's going to get away with some of that stuff. And that's just part of the deal, and it's part of the the reason he is so tough to beat in the playoffs every year because I, I guarantee if you go back over the last three or four years, there's all kinds of like 50-50 calls that have gone to him, and I'm not even complaining about that because that comes with the territory when you're one of the best players of all time. But that's just sort of... Part of the deal, and I think Oladipo was frustrated, reasonably so. Uh, But, but yeah, I mean, it didn't surprise me. I thought it was a goaltend uh, when it happened, and it also did not surprise me that he got the call.
1: Yeah. When the NBA came out with the last two minutes report and they admitted that it was a goaltend, I kind of wondered whether the Pacers might hang that up at Banker, Bankers Life Fieldhouse up in the rafters as just sort of like their moment of truth. Like we were robbed officially. <laughs> the NBA admitted it because that is so heartbreaking for that fan base. And granted, he had a three-pointer, so it was kind of moot, right. but still, I mean, the game situation changes, you know, your, your strategy probably changes, uh, you know, defensively if you were up two rather than tied. But uh I just thought like to lose to LeBron year after year after year in the playoffs, whether he's in you know Miami or Cleveland, and then to potentially lose this series in part because of that, that call, uh, that's the type that you're going to dwell on if you're a fan for months into the offseason.
0: It's brutal. And that's actually you make a really good point. It would have made LeBron's game winning three like 10 times cooler if he had been down two in that moment. So that's the real reason we should all be upset about the goaltending call. Um, can I tell you one other thing that I thought of this week as I was writing about Paul George? Please. So we've been over this. You and I have talked on the pod, off the pod, about how um, Paul George's best role is as kind of like a rich man's iguadala. I still think he should go to Philly I don't think that that's actually going to happen uh, because it doesn't seem like something that he would be that interested in
1: yeah it makes too, way too much sense right, right?
0: <laughs> it makes too much sense and I honestly don't think that Paul George is going to be that rational about this decision this summer um the the other path that's out there though that seems like it's been underplayed is for him to just opt in and go play with LeBron in Cleveland. Like it wouldn't be that hard to make that happen, and um, and I could see LeBron ultimately staying in Cleveland. Like I don't know, the closer we get here, the the harder it is for me to imagine him somewhere else. Um, and that's that's one scenario where it could really work. I and I think in that scenario, they would also try to use the Nets pick to get another star. And it would probably be Kevin Love going to OKC for Paul George. Um, but it's just something that I was gaming out in my head this week as I wrote about Paul George. Is like the opt-in, the, basically the CP3 model is, is a very real possibility for him.
1: Yeah, you know, and... If you're advising Paul or George, though, I think because of the leg injury, you tell him, Get, take the money and run. You know, obviously he's done well for himself, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's not where Chris Paul was financially in terms of how many years he's been in the league earning max level money. And from that standpoint, you know, I wouldn't mess That's with it. Fair. If I was him, I would, I would, you know, try to cash out. But who knows? I mean, these guys are coming up with new strategies and ways to team up, you know, every single summer staying ahead of the curve. And, you know, we're just trying to kind of keep up with them.
0: Okay, well, moving on. Did you watch Wizards Raptors? It was on at the same time as Cavs Pacers, so you would have had to go back and watch it. And I can't blame you if you didn't. I'm just curious if you have any takes.
1: Well, I'm offended you would even ask. Of course I watched it, Andrew. Okay. A break.
0: <laughs> All right, fair enough. God,
1: you've been doing this podcast with me for three years. You're going to ask me a question like that. Unbelievable. Uh, the table was set for you, man. I, I thought you guys were going to do it. I mean, down into the last six minutes, um, you know, the tightness was on Toronto's side. You know, you guys seemed to be playing a little bit loose. Uh, not that you were necessarily like, you know, doing a great job hitting shots or anything like that, but it seemed like the Raptors were feeling the pressure just a little bit more and the longer they weren't able to really extend a real lead. Uh, the the more I thought, hey, maybe Jean Wall is going to be able to do this. And he's really, you know, flipped the script. You know, I, I, we were, or at least I was, pretty hard on him mm-hmm. after game one. He's played a lot better. And I thought he played pretty well, uh, you know, in that game five as well. But they just, you know, beat the brakes out you the final six minutes.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough with Wall. He definitely had a lot of great moments in that game. And then he also had seven or eight turnovers and was sloppy down the stretch and i just think that a lot of their failure failure to execute and their inattention to detail starts with wall and it's it's almost like a a tone setting thing similar to to russ and okc um it's just like the things that wall doesn't get are also the things that the wizards haven't been able to master for the last couple years so it, it just is frustrating um both these teams are pretty pathetic. I think is my takeaway from this series so far. Like, and I and I hate to say that about the Raptors because I've really come to like a lot of those guys over the course of the year, and I'm rooting for DeRozan. I'm rooting for Lowry, but like, Lowry has looked pretty rough, pretty ordinary. I think his days as a top ten point guard are behind him, and um, it just is. It's all kind of. Coming to a head in this series, and will only get worse from here. Um, like, I I've been so unimpressed with the Raptors. I'm sorry, they just they're just not very good. And then at the same time, I have my stupid team, which like. They had every opportunity to win that game. I'm not even mad at the Wizards at this point. It's just they are who they are. The Wizards are going to wizard, and I can live with it. It's not over yet. I'm not giving up hope. Uh, But it's certainly never a good thing to lose winnable playoff games. Like The track record for teams that just give away wins on the road in the playoffs is not great. Um, But we'll see what happens Friday. Uh, Moving on. Quick question. I guess we could talk more about this next week. But just curious, how many games do you think uh, the Pelicans can get off the Warriors?
1: Well, it sounds like Curry could be available for game one. And if that's the case and he's playing pretty well, I would probably get say Warriors in five. Uh, but, you know, if there's a hiccup there, I would say Warriors in six. Uh, and that's not intended as like shots towards the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of what they were able to do really easily Uh, in the first round against portland it's going to you know disappear or at least dry up a little bit i mean golden state is never going to allow anthony davis to get like an easy 40 you know i mean that's just not going to happen like if davis is going to get 40 he's going to have to work for it hard it's going to require a lot of possessions and he's going to have to deal with a lot of length and athleticism uh you know guys like draymond and, and kd that he just did not have to see at all in round 1. I'm also banking on, you know, regression for, for Holiday true, yeah. and Rondo. I mean, both those guys have a chance to to play well in this series, they're guards, but uh, I think Golden State's team defense is going to put them through, uh, you know, a lot tougher tests than uh, Portland's did. So, uh, I'm still going with Golden State in that series, but you know the curry factor you know there's going to be an adjustment period uh you know i'm sure there's going to be some rust for him he hasn't played in quite a while but just his presence on the court i think will be enough to make life easier for everybody else and, and keep them in control that series
0: i think you're right um i i don't i can't explain why but i'm just i'm excited to watch this series and it, it i may look back and regret ever thinking that it could be close or interesting but um I think that watching Davis out there, part of it is we just haven't really seen the Warriors tested in a meaningful way because like the last month of their season, like the Warriors themselves kind of punted on. And then the the Spurs series was just a nullity and uh, it'll be fun to watch them play relevant games. Again, Um, the Pelicans, I mean, I think a big factor for the Pelicans is going to be Miritich and they're going to find out a lot about what they have in him uh, this series because He's been playing really well. I'm not sure I totally trust it. Uh but if they if he is the sort of guy they can depend on in a matchup like this, then like you really shouldn't keep Boogie this summer and they should find another plan with him. Um but who knows? There I think I think this series will go a long way toward determining what they end up doing there.
1: I mean, you're right that the Warriors, uh, you know, really haven't been tested, but they also haven't, like, you know, been all out gunning, like, uh, overwhelming offensive force here in a long time. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen Golden State sort of at the peak of its powers, obviously without Curry, but also because they were just kind of, you know, just jogging through the regular season, so... Trying to flip that switch, I think, uh, is going to be the number one reason to watch this series. If they do it, it's going to be fun basketball because we've all been you know, waiting for so long to see it. Yeah. If they don't do it and their bench kind of continues to be kind of meh and they're starting to scramble, like, how are we going to score points? Or maybe we can't control uh, New Orleans from a pace standpoint as well as they thought they could. Their reaction will be fascinating. You know, will somebody crack? You know, is, is the pressure going to get to someone? Will they go after the referees? uh will you know they start to hard foul davis in ways that they shouldn't i mean there are different ways where this could kind of go sideways for golden state if they're not able to really you know ramp their offense up like they want to because they never necessarily did it against san antonio right um you know there was okay stretches kind of here and there but yeah it was it was pretty choppy and they won with their defense not their offense well
0: that's the thing that i mean when steph's not in there like their offensive ceiling just isn't very high and i think like it should be higher than it is, but we have enough evidence now where like this team can't really excel on offense without Steph as the catalyst at the center of everything, um, and that's kind of crazy considering Durant and Clay Thompson are sitting right there, and Draymond as the creator, but like it just doesn't work. So.
1: Um, Yeah, well, look, you you know, I'm Team KD over Curry, you know, in terms of like, who's the better all around player. But I will say this, I used to always just get so frustrated by Steph's turnovers, because he makes some really silly turnovers. But if I have to watch Kevin Durant, try to throw a pocket pass through five hands and have that (laughs) pass not reach its intended recipient. Again, I will lose my mind. So for if for no other reason than avoiding KD's ugly, silly turnovers when he's the lead ball handler, we need to welcome Steph Curry back to the court sooner rather than later. I
0: don't know if that's soon. I would enjoy a couple games without Steph Curry so that we get to pretend this is a close series for the next week or so, and then we'll see where we are. Um, but moving on, Ethan says, which rookie has had the most impressive start to the playoffs? Uh Twelve-time Tatum, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, it's hard to pick. Come on, <laughs> first of all, come on. Is is
1: Ethan a Celtics fan trying to slip Tatum into this conversation? I respect it. respect That's
0: the case. Uh, Tatum has been all right, but. Donovan Mitchell has been amazing, but he's in kind of like the future all-star class of things, where Ben Simmons is looking like a future Hall of Famer out here and has totally changed the Sixers season. So I think you got to go with Simmons, obviously. But I especially have been blown away by Donovan Mitchell. I did not expect, even as someone who liked him and liked watching him in Utah all year, I didn't expect him to be this good in this thunder series. Like he has been awesome in almost every game.
1: Yeah. Andrew, who would you say is the best player in NBA history? Is it Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, or Tom Gugliotta? I mean, what is this question from (laughs) Ethan? Jason Tatum is the best rookie. Get out of here. Um, I would have Simmons one, but like you're saying Mitchell half step behind him. I loved what Dwayne Wade said about Ben Simmons. He's, he said, look, you know, Simmons much like LeBron, in his in this playoff series, never had a bad game. He left his imprint on the game every single time, with and without Embiid. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he did a great job of kind of shape shifting his skill set to allow Embiid to come back and thrive. He brings it defensively; he's a very good defensive player. Um, and you know, his shot selection is pretty good, even though he has no jumper. He gets to his spots and he gets to the rim regularly. And then his passing and vision has just been phenomenal. He picked Miami apart. Uh, in multiple games, uh, you know, with his looks. And, you know, from that standpoint, you know, I'd still give it to Simmons. But Mitchell, I think, you know how you mentioned a a couple weeks ago, you were like, well part of the reason why Simmons has been so impressive is because he got a lot better the last couple of months of his rookie season than he was previously. Mm-hmm. I think the same is basically true with Mitchell. I mean, I feel like Mitchell has raised his game another notch here in the playoffs, and that's not easy for a rookie. Yeah. You know, usually you expect those rookie struggles. His efficiency hasn't been perfect, but it's been pretty solid. He's hit a lot of big time buckets. He's done a great job of, you know, taking, like when he gets switches and taking guys, you know, he goes right for the throw. Uh, he's done a lot of getting towards the basket and kind of carving up their defense. Uh, timely buckets. I mean, he's he's been the real deal. And he's been better than I expected. I actually thought Simmons would have a pretty good transition uh, to the playoffs. I was a little bit shakier on whether Mitchell would. Uh, and Mitchell has outperformed my expectations more than Simmons has in the playoffs. And that's saying something because Simmons is almost averaging a triple-double.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I mean... Simmons, I had questions about how he was going to fare at the end of games and how teams were gonna guard him. And a lot most of that is just totally misplaced. I mean he's like the most dominant player on the floor almost any time he's out there. Mitchell, uh I agree, man. He's just so crafty around the basket and he I mean really all he needs to do is like get a little bit better as a three point shooter. And he is going to be so dangerous. And like, I was, I was prepared to be like a little league parent in these playoffs with Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) Like I expected him to go like five of 17 and have like 16 points and six assists. And I was going to be like, look, there are a lot of encouraging signs, but he's just out there. He is one of the best players on the floor. And uh, it's, it's, raises the ceiling for the jazz long-term because if he's going to be at like a superstar level that player paired with gobert is going to make the jazz really good for a long time
1: no well said and you mentioned the word crafty and you know this is going to sound like you know more tabernacle talk for me but (laughs) one thing i love for mitchell is his discipline to work himself free off the ball the guy works hard especially like when paul george is you know guarding him off the ball that's tough you know you have to run that guy through multiple screens left and right that is exhausting the effort that he puts in off the ball to just get himself in scoring positions to to receive passes as a primary guy at his age is excellent and um and you know one more sign that you know he's he's headed for big things
0: okay back to simmons for a second um you solicited names for him i i I don't know, na- I did. Well, names for his position, I guess.
1: Um, well, I, w- I was just geeking out because he can, he's so versatile, right? He's positionally versatile. His skills are very versatile. And then also his role, like, you know, how much impact he has on a game. He can kind of slide it up and slide it down as needed. And he's just kind of like this three-dimensional versatility, like shape-shifting, like I was mentioning. So I just wanted a simple word to kind of describe, you know, what Simmons does. And Open Floor Globe responded big time, didn't they, Andrew?
0: <laughs> I'll read... A couple of these names here. Greg says, I think the word for which you are searching is omnicompetent, capable of dealing with all matters, performing all tasks in all roles. Deepak says, flexicorn is the word you want for Ben Simmons. (laughs) Um, Liam says, polytropos is a word that Homer uses regularly in the Odyssey indeed it's oh. the very first adjective in the book and whilst the literal translation would be a person well-traveled the word is used to describe someone who is resourceful or adaptive a person of many turnings another term we might use in the uk is shit hot <laughs> um so great email <laughs> from liam uh and then jake says metamorphic Metamorphmagus um, is a witch or a wizard who has the ability to change their appearance at will, without the need Nailed for it. a wand, spell, or potion. Harry Potter reference. Andrew will appreciate this. Um, I don't. I'm not familiar with metamorphmagus. Um, can't clearly can't pronounce it. But uh, and then Tim says, I know I'm a week late, but the word Golliver is looking for to describe Ben Simmons is protean. So there you go. Do you have any favorites?
1: Well, I should have clarified. They need to be words we can use easily. Like part of the reason why people say unicorn is because it rolls off the tongue. I I actually thought Liam's was the best, Polytropolis or whatever. uh, But that you can't just say, "Oh, there goes Polytropolis Simmons again." Right, that's not going to work. Shit hot might
0: be the best of all. I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, not for Elizabeth, but. In general, great suggestions. I will do a better job next time, guys. I'm going to fall on the sword here. It needs to be a word that we could say that's going to work in a uh, casual conversation. But thank you for sending all of those incredibly dorky, nerdy suggestions in. I didn't get the Harry Potter reference either, but I appreciated it nonetheless. They're
0: great. Well, uh, we're at the hour mark, so let's hit the podium here. Um, first question is from Zachary, who asks... Do you guys have a favorite playoff memory? And then he shares mine was the weekend of the Cavs Warriors game seven in 2016. I made a bad decision the Friday beforehand and found myself in jail for the weekend. My parents wouldn't bail me out to teach me Mm. a lesson lesson learned. Obviously one of the things I thought about while I was in there was the fact that I was going to miss this epic showdown in the finals. Then I soon realized that in the cell block, they had a TV and they were going to show the finals for all the inmates. The night of the finals, everyone gathered around allegiances were made and we were all able to witness that Epic game seven. When the final buzzer sounded, that jailhouse was rocking. People were dancing on tables, banging on bars, food trays had been wagered and lost and friendships were made and broken. It was amazing. Uh, that is one of my favorite emails we've gotten in a long time. Just imagining watching watching Game Seven in jail. Um, it's I, I don't have a memory that tops that. What do you think?
1: No, that's next level. I'll tell you what. I mean, one thing I was thinking is I don't know about you, but do you get the superstitions where, like, you know, if like for Michigan football, for example, I'll you know I'll wear a certain jersey or. Uh, where you know, a beanie or whatever it might be, you know, convincing myself that I'm in charge of, you know, what's happening sure. on the field. Yeah. The only thing is like, don't get arrested again, hoping to recreate <laughs> this moment. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Like, don't turn your great jailhouse memory experience into a superstition where like, you know, you're hoping that Cleveland can win the title this year. That's all I'm going to say on that. Um, you know, I've shared some of my favorite memories before. And actually quick plug alert, Andrew, we did like our favorite games Uh, podcast last summer so
0: pods over the years
1: oh well thank you i appreciate you saying that but you can go back into our archive and you know find that my favorite playoff memory ever it's probably the 1993 nba finals uh game five uh jordan has 41 but the bulls lose and phoenix is going back for game six and seven at home I locked myself in a closet uh, out of pure frustration as, you know, what, a 10-year-old. And my dad had to coax me out of that closet. I believe I've shared this story before, uh, <laughs> telling me that it, it wasn't going to matter that they lost because Jordan never loses. In the end, the Bulls would prevail in the series. He was right. Sure enough, you know, Jordan to Paxson, game six, they win. So way to go, dad. That was an all-time father-son moment for us. Um, and, you know, that's one of my most memorable ones. I'd also say uh you know the shrug obviously was a great one everyone remembers where he was for the shrug uh, you know jordan 98 in person i would say uh the the day that the ac went out in san antonio you know and uh just the craziness of lebron getting the cramps and just that whole scene i will never forget where i was for that yeah um and then my last favorite i've mentioned multiple times but you know lebron scrapping david blatt's play call and then hitting the game winner and then just completely <laughs> You know clowning blatt after the fag. uh i will go to my grave with that one as you know on my top five all time yeah uh,
0: well those are all good ones I'm, I'm thinking back now i need a better story for Cavs warriors game seven because i just watched that alone in my living room in 2016 you were there uh i had been to the cleveland games but not the golden state games um one one that I really liked in recent history is I was in Seattle with all my Seattle friends watching uh the Clay Thompson game 6 when he came back in oh, yeah. in OKC and all my Seattle friends just fucking hate the Thunder. And so rooting against the Thunder in that game and re- and watching Clay go off was one of the more entertaining uh playoff memories I've ever had. Um and then there are a lot of games yeah. in person. A lot of Wizards losses.
1: I would actually say that game might have been better enjoyed uh, not in person because I was in person at that game and like the collective dread and just disgust from the Thunder fans bet, was just over, <laughs> overwhelming and you know the guy came up to the media table after the game and he's like this is what you need to write blame Kevin and it was just like oh my god and then, of course <laughs> Durant leaves like two months later and I was up till like 3 a.m writing my game story from that one that was uh, a real whirlwind of emotions, as they say. All
0: right. Well, from one top five email all time to another, uh, Jonathan says, Hey, guys, listening to your coverage of the Giannis' incident, I couldn't help but email you for the first time. After game four, my girlfriend and I went to Bel Air Cantina. She was wearing her Giannis jersey, and I had my Cream City Bucks t-shirt with Giannis's name and number on the back. I've attached a pic to establish my credibility as a witness, I can confirm he did attach a picture. Uh, he was there, and so John. Yeah,
1: we submitted we submitted the picture for forensic analysis, and it did check out. So
0: <laughs> yeah, um, all the boxes are checked. Um, Jonathan continues to say, "I felt compelled to address your commentary on the story first, as you can see in the pic." The place was not packed. This is what made everyone so pissed when Giannis left. Behind us, opposite side of the place in, the, in this picture, the table was empty. We totally thought Giannis was going to be sitting right next to us. The aftermath anger of Bucks fans at Bel Air Cantina was completely justified. Giannis was there with a few handlers, and they approached the man- manager twice before leaving. This one couple was so upset after Giannis left that they yelled at the manager, saying it was a disgrace. The manager then kicked those people out. The couples were the couple were jerks Jeez. to the manager. But at that point, the couple had a point. Um, and then lastly, he says, I just want to stand up for Milwaukee. People were casually saying hi to Giannis from their seats, congratulating him on the win. But they weren't approaching or crowding him. And I think it's a good, classy thing that people were not running up on him and giving him space to enjoy himself. I live in downtown Milwaukee, and even though it's a small city, people act like they've been there before. So, look, this open-floor globe is out there in the streets. Uh, We've got eyes and ears everywhere. Live reporting. (laughs) This is awesome. What did you think?
1: Well, I really appreciated the context he brought to the table. I also feel like, you know in the interest of balance like if you're the restaurant owner you know just because not every table is filled doesn't mean there's not going to be a wait right so we should probably say that but i don't think we need to re-litigate all that i'm interested in kind of spinning this forward andrew for two reasons first Giannis deserves better this should never happen again okay second I really don't want this to become sort of a pattern that drives a wedge between Giannis and Milwaukee, right? That would be the worst case scenario. He's talked about (laughs) Dirk, Duncan, you know, all these guys who become these one franchise megastars, and his career could go that way, or it could kind of go that KD direction where all of a sudden he decides to leave and people are shooting his jerseys with AK-47s, right? Right. And... My concern is, look, if Bel Air Cantina can't hold it down, the prospect of actually just going and living in Bel Air, like the real Bel Air, not the cheesy, you know, Taco (laughs) Tuesday (laughs) Midwest chain, uh, that's a real concern. So here's my ideas. First of all, I think that Milwaukee's fans are, you know, right to respect Giannis and keep a respectful distance. But I think the correct move in that situation would have been to order extra tacos for Giannis, Hand-feed them to him, okay? We need what? to make him feel completely comfortable. He should not be standing <laughs> like, there waiting that is for not food after a game I don't winner. don't of
0: this. This is not both of us uh, advising Milwaukee on that.
1: I'm saying if there was an extra table next to your table, you just move that table over to yours. You you wave Giannis over, you tell him to sit down and you order another round of tacos and then you hand feed them to him as necessary. That would have been the first move. Second of all, I think that Bucks fans need to understand that Giannis is a gigantic superstar. Just not quite everyone has figured that out yet. So I would recommend erecting a portable pedestal for Giannis that he can just kind of float around the city with so that everyone understands exactly how important he is. You don't want to be the fan base three years from now saying, look, we just kind of always were nice and respected him and we didn't really come up to him and treat him like a hero. But then he just decided to say goodbye. I'm out of here. You need to really show your love and treat him like a king. It's weird that LeBron calls himself a king and kind of carries himself that way. But ultimately, if you're a small market in the NBA, you have to cater to your star. You really need to raise the bar here uh, to ensure this never happens again. And I think that's, you know, maybe on Bucks fans. Finally, <laughs> I think all restaurants, including Bel Air Cantina, but also the pizza place that he wound up going to, every other restaurant needs to have a designated VIP se- section specifically for Giannis. Giannis. Like, not e- <laughs> Just in case not he walks even...
0: <laughs> in. That's the first suggestion I completely agree with. <laughs>
1: And look, not even Chris Middleton, and you know how I feel about Chris Middleton as a player, but not even Chris Middleton gets to go to that VIP table. And I think over uh, that that shrine, and it should be a shrine, not just a table, I think that they basically need to arrange for an autograph photo sort of with the owner and Giannis every time he, you know, the first time he goes into every restaurant where that gets displayed and it could be put up there, you know, alongside maybe, you know, how some restaurants frame that first dollar bill. Uh, that they get, you know, as a kind of a symbolic gesture. Sometimes people have to put up their health code grade, yep. you know, if this isn't an A restaurant or a B restaurant, you should have your certified autograph photo with Giannis. So everyone understands that's a Giannis friendly establishment. <laughs> I think it would be good for business <laughs> and it would obviously be good for Giannis as well. And I think that's really how. Milwaukee needs to spin this forward because we should give Giannis credit, Andrew. <laughs> he did not throw the ownership under the bus. He said he'd been there many times before. He plans to go back. He knows the owners. He said all the right things to kind of tamp this down from being a scandal. But I think we need to reframe the debate here. This is Giannis. The guy needs to be able to get his tacos whenever and wherever he pleases. And from that standpoint, I think major legislation across the series is necessary. Okay,
0: I appreciate all of your... <laughs> All of your thoughts there. As the official spokesman of the of the podcast here, I'm going to... they demands, need, not just I thoughts. need to be very, very clear. Do not go out in public and start hand-feeding Giannis or attempting to. That's not the vibe you want to give off if you're Milwaukee. <laughs> um, but I do think we should definitely look into creating permanent VIP sections in every Milwaukee restaurant and see what happens. And also... We're recording this before Bucks Celtics on Thursday night, so good luck to the Bucks. Have you ever been to Milwaukee? Uh,
1: I have. I haven't spent a, a ton of time there. Uh, most of my experience has been like on the lake side and you know uh, Lake Michigan. And mm. you know, I actually think it's you know it's the worst side of Lake Michigan if we're being honest. I, I prefer the Michigan side, but you know, to each his own. And I'm sure there's lots of nice people there. Certainly, the restaurant could have handled themselves better, and we appreciate. All the Bucks fans who emailed in about it, um, but no, I haven't spent a ton of time. there. I had
0: one of the best weekends of my life in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, when I was in college. I went to visit somebody and went to a hockey game, and it was it was awesome. But I have never been to Milwaukee. But I, when I was in Madison, I was shocked by like the sheer amount of unhealthy food that you could eat, and uh, and people were just. Everyone was nice and it was socially acceptable to like eat just disgusting amounts of food at all hours of the day. And so I love that place and I want to get to Milwaukee soon. Um, and I bet it's nicer in April than it would be in the winter. So next year's playoffs, that's on the agenda. But moving on here, uh, Riley says. Yeah,
1: m- moving on, please. We've got enough of your Midwest uh, meteorology. <laughs>
0: Yeah, great for anyone who didn't know it's cold in the winter there um breaking news uh anyways Riley says why does Andrew get away with claiming to be a Carolina fan then turning around and gushing about every dookie in the NBA mm. while I appreciate mm. his undying fandom of Taiwan Lawson no matter how many sojourns out to China he makes just in the past week Sharp has been fanboying over Justice Winslow Brandon Ingram, Jabari Parker, and Quinn Snyder. Um, Riley, this is a great point. I'm glad you brought it to light. Uh, I, I hope you know that, number one, I feel guilty every time I compliment someone who went to Duke. And number two, that the real problem is not me, but the real problem is that Carolina is losing all these recruiting battles for the likes of Justice Winslow and Brandon Ingram and Jabari is someone I, I never really would have wanted anyways, but Carolina needs to start recruiting again is the is the point here, okay, because I want all the cool, wow, cool NBA way, players way, way. to go to UNC and it's been bullshit that Duke has been stealing all these guys for the last five years.
1: So you get called to the carpet by O'Reilly on your Duke Loving and your responses to credit Coach K's unbelievable recruiting ability. I I don't even know who you are anymore, Andrew. I don't even know who this person is. I'm not crediting
0: Coach K. I'm complaining about Roy Williams not recruiting these guys anymore. And granted, there have been sanctions and probation and UNC won a national title like 12 months ago. So there's not a lot of standing to complain, but- I don't know, man. I like I can't hate Justice Winslow and Brandon Ingram. They're awesome.
1: Yeah, I had noticed this too, by the way, and I'm glad somebody said it because I wasn't going to call you out. But uh, do you think this USA basketball thing plays a real role in terms of of what Duke's doing? And you know, as a Carolina fan, here's the real question. As a Carolina fan, do you think that Coach K should have ever been allowed to be the, the coach of uh, USA Basketball? That seems like an unfair advantage.
0: Yeah, it's upsetting uh, because it definitely turned their whole program around. And it's funny because if you really get like deep into college basketball recruiting, and I'm not really that far into it, but I've got friends who are. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who credit the turnaround at Duke to Jeff Capel, who just left uh, – Coach K's staff, and um, and basically was responsible for shepherding a lot of these one and done guys into Duke. So maybe this is the end of that era. I certainly hope it is. But yeah, I, the, the USA basketball whole dynamic was very shady, and I'm glad I I will be so much more excited to root for Greg Popovich leading Team USA. Yeah, no, I'm with you
1: on that. Well, we're running long here. What else right. we got?
0: <laughs> Jack says. My girlfriend has been giving me a hard time this April due to the amount of games and podcasts I've been tuning into through the NBA playoffs. I've come to realize that she might as well be watching Water Boil when I'm watching basketball. I want to keep watching the games, but I don't know how to get her to understand that the playoffs are the playoffs. Would love some advice from you guys. What do you think?
1: Oh man, I was actually at lunch this week and uh, a woman at the table next to me like sat down and was loudly talking about how this exact same situation, basically her boyfriend was watching NBA playoff games and she had no (laughs) idea what was going on, how boring it was and how horrible it was. And I realized, you know, that old thing, like don't talk about religion or politics like during Thanksgiving or whatever. I realized that like my response to her saying that was exactly like I was horrified, mortified. I was ready to just leave the restaurant, even though like, you know, essentially I was eavesdropping she seemed like an alien to me because I don't really know anyone or associate with anyone who doesn't love the NBA. So, uh, it was hard for me to kind of come up with advice for Jack, but I've tried to do it, Andrew. I want to be the relationship therapist. And, okay. you know, first of all, I, I just want to say this applies whether you're other significant others, man, woman, you know, whatever, uh, this is universal advice. So you tell me if this is a uh, good advice or not. Okay. I think the key issue is, his girlfriend doesn't want to feel like she's not a priority, right? I mean, that's, she doesn't want to be bothering him. She doesn't want to sort of like fight for his attention. So what Jack needs to do is to really make a case for why the NBA is so important. And then he has to kind of brainwash her. I mean, this is, let's be honest. (laughs) Like he's going to have to indoctrinate her into this cult, right? So the first thing that Jack should do when he has this conversation, he needs to list off his good qualities uh, to kind of you know pump himself up. He's not just the deadbeat who's on the couch watching playoff games every single night for two months. He you know and presumably Jack has good qualities. Jack, if you don't have any good qualities, you could just make something up, say something like you're not a drug addict, you never stolen her credit card to order video games. I mean, whatever <laughs> it would be, <laughs> just build up your resume so she understands that you know you are someone worth staying with. Okay, once you've done that, you have to guilt trip her. You have to tell her that the NBA playoffs is the thing that you care about. And if she cares about you, she will also care about the playoffs. And I'll be honest, Andrew, that's the crossroads moment. That could go two ways. She could call BS and say, no. Uh, no that's question. Not. But look, if she does, she's gone. Just, you're better off without her, Jack. Don't worry <laughs> about it. But if she's convinced by the guilt trip, then just keep you know going forward here with my plan. At that point, uh, what you need to do is claim the moral high ground. So whatever she actually likes in her life, uh, you've got to show some effort, go out of your way to uh, you know, express your own interest in whatever she likes. Now that could lead to something like you going to a gardening show and saying, oh, these azaleas are so splendid, we should buy three. You, know, you might have to get yourself into that type of situation, but once you do that, she will feel like the priority and she will feel the need to reciprocate, Jack. So after you've unfurled all of this, and look, this is gonna be like a week-long plan, then you're really ready for the recruiting. And you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna be like a bag man, okay? Imagine she's a high a high profile high school recruit. You've got to get inside of her head. What is she like? You've got to come up with a pitch for either a team or a player that appeals to her interests, you know? And That could be, you know, when in doubt, it's Giannis, right? I mean, that's what we would say. But maybe she's a Steph Curry person. Maybe she's a LeBron person. Whatever it is, you've got to, you know, match, you know, play matchmaker with her interests and a player that might appeal to her. That way, when the game is on, you can tell her, hey, honey, your game is on. It's your favorite player. It's not just just the game that I want to watch. It's the game that you want to watch, right? That could work. Um, Now you know, you, you might have to get creative in terms of how you're selling this, you know, don't try to do something like, you know, Chris Middleton has the highest true sh- shooting percentage in the NBA among high volume shot takers during the playoffs. That would work on me, but that's not going to work on, you know, more casual fans. So you could turn <laughs> to the things worst. like branding, so many different people social have the
0: podcasts. Off right
1: <laughs> you could turn to branding, social media presence, Twitter. I mean, whatever it is to kind of, you know, lure a casual person in, you know, go for that. Um, You know at that point though you do need to lay the stakes out here and this is sort of the the real ask on your behalf because the playoffs are two months long so you've got to kind of frame that timeline for her and you've got to say look it's sort of like a religious holiday you know it's sort of like hanukkah or diwali or whatever like it lasts for two months there's not any restrictions about what food you can eat or like when there's fasting there's nothing like that but every single night for the two-month period it's a it's an uh, investment that you're going to have to make together where you're watching basketball five or six hours every single night. She just has to understand that. Maybe you could throw a carrot in at the end, like after the finals. Maybe you go on a nice romantic weekend trip. You could try throwing that in as well, but you just need to set the terms. It doesn't go on forever. <laughs> she just needs to know that May and June are locked in with basketball. That way, she won't be surprised that you're home on the couch again, watching the game. She will understand that, you know, it's like week three of eight and that there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. That's how I would approach it, Jack. I think if you follow all of those steps and potentially if you play her this podcast, especially this last five minute Please section. Please don't do she that. <laughs> It, it will work. And I think you guys will love basketball together. You will g- grow closer and you will have a shared interest, which is the most important foundational principle of every relationship. I look forward, Andrew, to actually being witnesses or potentially, you know, groomsmen Invented, at the wedding. it's
0: the wedding, sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. And I'll be glad to speak at the wedding, too, about this oh. <laughs> amazing turning point between these two loving individuals. Uh, you know, and yes, it's going to require some brainwashing, uh, but don't be afraid, Jack. You can do it. Can
0: I tell you something, Ben? Uh I I meant Please. to mention it during the the Westbrook segment but it's something that I noticed in the first half of game 5 OKC Utah um just watching how helpless Billy Donovan looks on the sidelines and sometimes Uh-oh. I know how he feels where I am Billy Donovan <laughs> and you're Russell Westbrook And I just have to let you go and let you run free. And it'll be like, oh, so he thinks it's a good idea to lead the podcast with a five minute discussion of something called unsheathed swag. And that's fine. We can work with that.
1: Okay. Well, that's fine. I'm going to push back as I always do. (laughs) What part of my advice... Was wrong. I thought it was great advice. It, you
0: don't know. No, it, it's just the momentum that you get is very Westbrook like. Uh, but I love it. I love it. Um, it was good advice. Um, I have a couple thoughts. I think okay. Let's hear. One of the biggest challenges with a significant other and the playoffs, it really is. It just sort of goes on forever, and like I don't blame my wife for like six weeks into this being like god there are, there are more games that, that like you just watched five games the last five nights and so that's big you definitely gotta like pick and choose some off nights um, and then a favorite player definitely helps my wife has gotten very into Steph Curry in recent years See? her all time favorite Look at this. is Dwayne Wade uh, which I did not feel great about at the peak of the those heat title teams but she loves D-Wade um, But the main thing is I have come to – like yesterday I actually came to an epiphany because my wife listens to podcasts too. She's listened to like one or two episodes of Open Floor in the last like two and a half years. But one of her favorite podcasts is uh, My Favorite Murder. Have you ever heard of that?
1: I haven't, but go okay. on.
0: Well, it's, it's sort of like a true crime podcast. And there my wife is like deep into it She's in like a Facebook group and listens to every episode as soon as it's up and uh and anyways there was big news in the My favorite murder world yesterday because the golden state killer was captured. Yeah, and uh and so my wife sent me like Multiple text messages about this throughout the day and then when I was home like we were talking about it all night and in my head, I was like, why do you care this much about, I mean, I'm glad they caught him, but like, I, I don't, I'm not like that interested in it. And it just was like an ongoing thing that monopolized her attention. And it seemed very stupid to me. And I realized at the end of the night that that's definitely how she feels about basketball. And so really the main thing you can do is just Appreciate any significant other that is willing to be patient with our stupid obsession, because my basketball obsession is definitely as dumb or dumber.
1: That is a great case in point. So, what you need to do, Andrew, is tell her like the next vacation you guys are going to go on is going to be you're going to tour the Gold State Killer's crime scenes. <laughs> you know, you're going to go and see Steph Curry. You're going to go. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean you just spin this forward. You you're just following my blueprint here and, and you're just stumbling through it year after year. If you had just asked me for advice, I could have told you this and so we would have saved you a lot
0: of time. <laughs> All right. Well good. Listen, on that note, I think we should wrap it up here. We were we are gonna be back next Monday, I believe, and we'll recap the end of these series over the weekend, preview the second round. Lots to run through. It's been fun and uh, yeah. Thank you, Ben.
1: The other thing I forgot to mention, Jack, take your girlfriend's phone, go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor, scroll down. It'll say <laughs> rate and review, pound that five-star review. If she likes basketball, if she doesn't, that's okay. Either way, we'll take that five stars from her and anyone else. Uh, Andrew, until next week, I will talk. Awesome,
0: to man. You. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team.